Well, good morning. Good to see you all. Merry Christmas. Today is the first Sunday after Christmas Day, so we are still in the Christmas season, which is why you still see decorations up around the building. And our hope is that you all have had a meaningful Christmas season, time spent with family and friends and those who are close to you. But I do also know that for several in our congregation, this uh, holiday season has been a difficult one. And so those for whom Christmas has been a difficult or challenging time, our prayer is that you have still sensed the peace of Christ even in the midst of heartache and loss. Um, I don't know about you, but when my family gets together, especially during the holidays, one of the elements of our conversations is always retelling favorite stories from the past. Any other families like that? And, And one of the stories that my mom told this year was a lost and found story of sorts that involved yours truly. Um, For those who don't know, my dad was a pastor my whole life, and when I was growing up, church life in our tradition was a little bit different than it is now. As the son of a pastor, we were at the church building all the time. I mean, all the time. We had multiple services a week. We even had what they called revivals. Is anybody familiar with that concept? (laughs) Revivals? Okay, so I don't know about you, but we would maybe have a guest speaker, and we would have services every night of the week for one or or sometimes two weeks. Amen. (laughs) Steve is proposing that maybe we implement that again. Um, But these, and he's going to be speaking every night. (laughs) I, I will not be. But these evening services could last a rather long time, and on one occasion... Uh, as the story goes, I was a year old. I, I don't have a memory of this, but I fell asleep during one of those long services, as children do, and sometimes as adults do. Um, so my mom, wanting to allow me to sleep during this long service, took me to the nursery and placed me in one of the cribs, and I slept throughout the service. But after the service, I was still snoozing away, and she wanted to allow me to continue sleeping, but she needed to get home to prepare for some house guests that we were having over after the service. So she allowed me to sleep. She went home and she instructed my dad, so you probably know where this story's going. She instructed my dad before she left the church, make sure you get Matt and bring him home with you. Well, about an hour or so later, my dad gets home alone. And according to my mom, she starts to lose her mind a little bit. Where's... Wow, what if something has happened to him? He's probably terrified. He probably woke up and is in a dark, confusing place and is scared. Now, fortunately, this story has a happy ending. I am here, after all. But they went back to the church. They found me. I had actually crawled out of the crib and crawled to the altar and lit a candle and was praying. <laughs> just, just joking. Just, I was still sleeping in the crib when they got back to the nursery. (laughs) They didn't have candles. (laughs) Fortunately, Nanette and I have not had an experience like this yet with our daughters, but we do go to Silver Dollar City and Wonders of Wildlife often enough that I'm sure it's bound to happen at some point. All of that to say, today we are going to read a story of Jesus as a child 
being lost and then found by his parents, but we discover that this story, at least from a literary perspective, has a unique spin on it. So today our gospel reading is from Luke chapter 2. If you were with us this past Monday at our Christmas Eve service, you know that we read over 20 verses from this chapter, the, the beginning of the chapter, the birth story of Jesus. And we're going to return to that chapter today, but we're going to skip ahead to verse 41, where we find one of the only stories in the Gospels of Jesus between his infancy and his public ministry that began around the age 30. Now, some have argued that this story in Luke chapter 2 was fabricated to fill in the gaps a little bit. So, an attempt to provide some details about the first 30 years of Jesus' life. Now, personally, I have always found that theory a bit unconvincing, not least because if somebody was trying to fill in those gaps of the first 30 years of the life of Jesus, this seems like a really strange story to contrive in order to fill in those gaps. And you'll understand why in a moment. I, I think it would be much more appealing if you're going to fill in those gaps to create some really dramatic stories. And there are actually some apocryphal stories of Jesus that originated during the second and third centuries that were sort of these legends that portray the boy Jesus as sort of a kid genius. A kid genius who had a bit of an ornery streak and would sometimes even use his supernatural powers um, to express his wild side and sometimes to express his outright malevolence. Some of the legends are rather innocuous, like Jesus creating clay birds and then making them come to life. But there are others that are a little more concerning, like some of the stories we find in the infancy gospel of Thomas, which the early church, by the way, emphatically dismissed as unreliable, but it told stories about Jesus killing another kid that had bumped into him. And then when that kid's parents are upset, Jesus causes them to go blind. It's really crazy stories. There are other legends that are a bit more appealing that depict Jesus performing miracles from a very young age to help individuals who were hurting. So we have these wild stories and wildly contradictory images of Jesus as a boy in some of those legends. But we don't find anything like that in the four Gospels that are in our Bible. In fact, the only story between infancy or toddlerhood and the manhood of Jesus that we find is the one we're going to read today, and it's rather understated and really unimpressive. And yet, I, I think in some ways, the dullness of this story, at least for me, seems to lend a little bit to the credibility of it as it is simply portraying the uniqueness of this child. And Luke is using this to set us up for something that will follow as we see the boy Jesus growing and maturing, yes, but also a boy who was undeniably special even from a young age. So let's begin reading this story. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. We'll pause here because right here from the beginning we, uh, of the episode, we are reminded that the parents of Jesus, Mary and Joseph, were devout Jews. They were 
serious about their faith and did all that the law required of them. This is a fact that was stressed earlier in chapter 2 in the birth narrative, but it's a fact that's revisited here at the end of the chapter. Every year at the Feast of the Passover, as many serious Jews did, Mary and Joseph and their extended family went to Jerusalem. Now, understanding the rest of the story, um, we know that Jesus is eventually going to have a quite complicated relationship with the Jewish leaders of the day. In fact, eventually he is going to be handed over and killed, handed over by the religious leaders of this faith that was so important to his family. But we'll save that story for another day. So Mary and Joseph, together with their family, head to J-Town. That, that's what we call it when we're real familiar with it, J-Town. Now, this Passover was special for Jesus. It happened to be his 12th year, which was significant because for Jewish males, 12 was the age of, it is the age of bar mitzvah. And essentially, that's the point at which a faith becomes your own. So at this age, you were opened up to full participation in the religious life of the synagogue. And so we see here, at this point, Jesus is becoming a man, as it were, and a serious Jew in his own right, which makes some of the details that follow a little less shocking, but still, it's a pretty interesting story. Let's continue in verse 43. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. I think this is such a great story. The the feast that occasioned their trip to Jerusalem has ended. So with all of the other visitors in the city, they head for home. Jesus, though, is not with them. He stayed back in Jerusalem at the age of 12. I mean, you want to talk about free-range parenting. Mary and Joseph, together with their traveling companions, travel a day's journey before they even realize something is amiss, before they realize that Jesus is not with them. Some of you are probably thinking, see, that's why I'm not a helicopter parent. Mary and Joseph are my guide. They did it. That's good enough for me, so... I'll check in with my kids when they graduate high school or something. I mean, this is some grass-fed parenting. (laughs) So Mary and Joseph begin to search. Where, Where is Jesus? Surely he's around here somewhere. Maybe he's just playing with his cousins or something, and he'll catch up. They've just wandered off, but they never show up, and... Their search is fruitless, and none of the relatives know where he is, so the only thing left to do is, well, we must have left him back in Jerusalem, so let's head back. So it's another day's journey back to the city to begin another search. Verse 46, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. This is quite remarkable. A 12-year-old, recent bar mitzvah, is amazing the religious leaders of his day with his questions he's asking and with the depth of understanding of spiritual things. And 
His parents stumble upon them and hear what's going on, and they can't believe their ears. I, I mean, they know he's special. Mary has received these promises concerning this boy, but, but still. They're proud of him, but not even they can feign normal parental pride. Just move on and say, attaboy, Jesus, this is what we expected. No, no there's something different about this boy. They, they can't understand what's going on. We continue reading in verse 48. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Jesus, we've been worried sick about you. This isn't like you to just disappear. Do you know all of the terrible things that could have happened? Do you understand the severity of the situation? Not to mention the fact that we've wasted several days now searching for you. This is serious. What's going on with you? Your father and I have been searching for you, and we've been greatly distressed. Verse 49, and he said to them, why? Why were you looking for me? I love that Jesus at the age of 12 has been separated from his parents for several days in a big city, and he isn't even phased by it. At 12, I would have been curled up in a ball weeping somewhere. And by the way, the response of Jesus here, that would not fly in my house. What do you mean, why? You, you don't ask us the questions. We ask you the questions in this scenario. But Jesus says, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So again, we find that there was undeniably something special about this boy, but he is also still a boy. He is growing in wisdom and stature, growing in favor with God, and man, this is a part of the mystery of the incarnation that we have considered over the past week, that God incarnate could possibly grow in any way, but could possibly grow especially in wisdom. But again, this is the God we serve who lays aside divinity and enters into our vulnerability. But I'd like to return to the contrast that's presented between verse 48 and verse 49. In verse 48, we find Mary saying, your father and I are and have been looking for you. And Jesus responds, why? Don't you know that I must be in my father's house. Your father and I are looking for you. I must be in my father's house. According to other translations, Jesus says, I must be about my father's business. So this is it. Your father and I are looking for you. Jesus responds, no, I am in my father's house. The distinction between Mary's claim, your father, and Jesus's claim, my father, I think is important in this story for Luke. And it begins to set us up for the life and the ministry of Jesus that will follow as this separation between Jesus and his parents begins to widen a little bit. Now, upon first glance at this story, the story might seem similar in some ways to the story I opened with this morning. This is just another standard parents lose the child momentarily story, although this separation is a bit longer than you would hope for. But eventually, parent and child are reunited. They find one another and everything is fine. 
But as we read this story, especially when we get to the end of it, in this exchange between Mary and Jesus, this exchange between mother and child, we begin to discover that for Luke, there is something much deeper going on in this story than just that standard separation from the parents. There is a point being made, setting up the audience for what will follow. And one of the points that I think Luke is making is that Jesus, as though it appears that he has lost Jesus, wasn't the lost one in this story. All of the energy and the effort and the worry that was expended was because Jesus was missing, but Luke submits that, as he begins to outline throughout the gospel, that Jesus was never lost to begin with. That the temple where they find Jesus, his father's house, his father's business, this is precisely where Jesus is supposed to be. He's not lost at all. In fact, Mary is looking for him, but Jesus has come to find Mary. Jesus has come to find us all. So, so what do we take away from this seemingly random, quite unremarkable story? I think there are several things that we learn or can deduce about Jesus and his upbringing. We we see that he was raised in a thoroughly Jewish home with a love for observing the law. We also discover that Jesus, even from a young age, was astonishing even the brightest religious teachers of the day. His wisdom was surprising for a boy his age, but he is also growing in knowledge, growing in wisdom and understanding and stature. So we, we find this interesting description of the mysterious dance between humanity, humanity, not humanity, humanity and divinity that is present in the person of Jesus Christ. But maybe the most important feature of this story, the most important thing that we can learn, and I think one of the main points of Luke's story is discovered right at the end. We are told that Mary and Joseph search for Jesus throughout Jerusalem. Now, it doesn't even appear as though the temple is the first place they look. They probably looked where you would expect to find a young Jewish boy of the day, wherever that might have been, but eventually their search takes them to the temple, and Jesus says, why are you searching? You should have known immediately when you realized that we were separated that I would be in my father's house because I must be about my father's business. And Luke tells us that when Jesus responds in this way, his parents are perplexed. They have no idea what he's talking about. They don't understand this saying. And there is much more going on in this episode than anyone could have ever imagined. It is much more than just a child separated from the parents. I heard somebody sum it up like this. He said, the amazing grace in this story is that in some ways it's like a dry run for what comes later. So if we think ahead, we, we know that Jesus is going to make another trip down to Jerusalem. And again, on that trip to Jerusalem... Some events are going to occur, and it will appear as though Jesus has been lost. So I think what's happening at the age of 12 in Luke's story is in many ways foreshadowing what we read later in the life and ministry of Jesus. When we see Jesus travel down to Jerusalem with his disciples, he is killed. And after his death, I would imagine that the disciples surely think that he is lost for good. 
Maybe that would remind us of this story from the age of 12 and Mary, perhaps, with Jesus on the cross, with her son, her baby boy being placed in the tomb. Perhaps she is even reminded of this three-day period of absence when Jesus, as a young boy, was lost in Jerusalem. But I think the truth that Luke is bringing to the surface through this story is all the while Mary and the disciples fail to grasp that Jesus was never the one who was lost. They were the ones who were lost and Jesus had come to find them. They, they didn't lose Jesus on the cross. No, he was doing what had to be done to find them, to save them, and he was still at the point of death, about his father's business. When Luke tells us about the death of Jesus, we, we see that Jesus verbally gives up his spirit to God. He says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And then on the third day, we see that the disciples and the mother of Jesus who think Jesus has been lost, they discover that Jesus is actually finding them. It's such a simple truth that Luke raises for us, but one I think worth consideration. Luke is setting up his audience for the adult ministry of Jesus that would begin approximately 18 years or so later. We see that at the age of 12, Jesus is now beginning to understand his unique and distinctive relationship to God the Father. He is beginning to understand that he is the Son of God, which is a Really interesting picture, I think, of the humanity of Christ. Consider that Jesus had to grow into that understanding at some point. He's not a two-year-old prodigy who's going around curing diseases and understanding entirely what his messiahship meant. No, he grows into that understanding. And at the age of 12, he is beginning to understand what his mission in this world is to be about. His mission is, in fact, in a strange twist on this story about finding those who are lost. He is about his father's business, and this mission that he would be devoting his life to was going to be quite painful. It was already creating a painful relationship between child and parents. There's this distance that begins to enter into their familial relationships and will only continue to widen as he lives his life. His parents are greatly distressed when they couldn't find him, even though he's just doing what he had come to do. He was beginning to take on his father's business, and that pain that I'm sure his parents rightly felt in this moment is just beginning, because Mary's heart is going to be broken much more in the future. Jesus understands, though my earthly father is looking for me while I'm lost in Jerusalem, but I must be about my heavenly father's business. You search for me, but I am actually finding you. Amen. So we begin to wrap this up this morning and transition into a time gathering around this Eucharistic meal, celebrating the life, celebrating the presence of Jesus Christ that is with us this morning, I'd like us to consider a rather simple question. And Andy and Heather, you can come up if you'd like. And if you wouldn't like, if you would come up anyway. <laughs> I'd like us to consider a rather simple question. 
How often do we, maybe like Mary and Joseph in this story, how often are we completely missing one of the main points of the gospel, that we are in fact the ones who are in need of being found, that we are the ones who are lost? I think a lot of times, maybe due to some of our enlightened sensibilities, we function under the illusion that we are no longer in need of salvation, that we no longer need to be found ourselves because we've arrived. Well, we get it. We understand all of the complexities of this life. And I think one of the things that the Christmas season does for us as the church, that the fact that we celebrate God coming to earth, it reminds us that we are in desperate need of Jesus. We are in desperate need of Jesus, and not just sort of on a corporate or global level, but individually. We are in desperate need of Jesus. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. We are lost, but Jesus has found us. In many ways, we are still lost, scrambling in the dark, but Jesus is continuing to find us and show us the way forward. And central to the gospel of Jesus Christ is the acknowledgement that it is we who are lost. But this story has a good ending. Jesus has come to find us, and as we hear over and over again throughout the story told in our scriptures, and we hear it especially in the Christmas story repeated again, three truths from Jesus to us when we are lost and are aware of our lostness, but I think three truths that maybe we need to hear even when we're lost and unaware. That is Jesus speaking to us, I love you, I love you, I have found you, I'm with you, so do not be afraid. Would you stand this morning? As we come forward to share in the Eucharistic meal this morning, I would encourage you to have those statements running through your head. Allow those words from Jesus to anchor you when you're lost and aware, when you're lost and unaware of your lostness. I love you. I have found you. Do not be afraid. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your life. We thank you for this story of your boyhood a story that we find incredible truths, but one that is preparing us for your mission in this world, a mission that is all about restoration, bringing life, bringing light to those who are in dark, to those who are lost. Lord Jesus, we look to you as our guide. This morning we gather around this table to find life, to find sustenance in your body and your blood. Would you meet with us, Jesus? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Would you join us at the table this morning?